0: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. We are beginning a new series here, a new recurring series. I guess we'll call it Ask the Commerce Secretary, even though that's like the most overused title for a show. And there's the Ask the DOT on Gene Valicente, Ask the Mayor, da-da-da, but whatever. We'll just, we'll go that direction. Commerce Secretary Liz Tanner is here with us in studio. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, real pleasure. So we'll get to kind of things that we've maybe missed uh, here in, in sort of the second half of our conversation today. But we're going to begin with questions that were solicited from our listeners. And some of you sent some really important questions, some really nuanced questions. So we'll work our way through some of them. This is going to be a recurring series every, I don't know what we'll do, every couple of months or something like that. So if you have a question, send it to me, bill at ripodcast.com, and we'll put it in the queue for the next go around. But I begin with a question that comes from uh, Renu, um I have a he, who asked I have a young friend who is a minority business owner in construction who has been having issues getting through the state's process for approved construction companies because they have less than 7 employees even though they are bonded and insured they cannot be hired for state or municipal jobs unless they're a union shop the process appears to deliberately prevent small businesses and especially minority businesses from being able to get work What does commerce do for young minority business owners? It's been very unclear on their website or in any of their discussions. Does commerce have a hiring policy for minority companies?
1: I'm so glad that you got that kind of a question, right? Because people should feel comfortable to ask. So thank you for that question. Um, Now, I can't speak to any policies regarding union shops in particular. That's certainly outside of my department's purview. But I can certainly speak to some of the programs that commerce does offer, To support both women and minority owned businesses Um, so providing equitable access of course is super important for all of us and especially our minority businesses which is particularly critical but we have two programs i wanted to highlight first is our minority business accelerator program this just is brand new it was just funded in the 23 budget and it's a collection of initiatives aimed at enhancing the growth of minority businesses in rhode island And so as part of the program, we are actually currently, right now, soliciting proposals for $3 million in awards to intermediaries, is what we call them. They could be chambers or associations or organizations uh, to administer assistance programs to support the growth of minority business enterprises. So, for example, it can be offering co-working space, some technical assistance like legal or accounting or a variety of different kind of training assistances um, for the businesses. In particular, we're looking for certain businesses to perform certain functions that we hear most often from our construction industries. And the goal of the investment is to really open up the doors for business owners from the historically marginalized communities and to better position them. And so those proposals for this program are due this Friday, April 28th at 2 o'clock. So we want to encourage anybody who's interested to visit our website to learn more. And I'll give that information at the very end if that's okay. Please. The other program was particularly interesting. It was formerly called PTAC, but it was recently renamed APEX by the federal government. And it specifically aims to help businesses who want to do business with the government, whether it be municipal, state, or federal. And that program can help a business to really better understand what they need to know to get government contract work. And- that one's more of a hand-holding for the business to understand. So any questions that they have, whether it's the ones that you specifically got or anything about how to do business with government, um, there's a specific program that can do that for you. So it's it's a great it's a great way to get yourself – get that foot in the door in that space.
0: And there's a lot of complexity to this. It's not as simple as, you know, all right, we hired this company or we, we just made this decision overnight. There's You usually have to get a DUNS number and there's <laughs> – it's it's not – as straightforward as some people might make it out to be. So commerce, I'm assuming is there to kind of walk people through this.
1: Of course. And I think one of the things that smaller businesses need to understand is when the government hires you to do something, you have to be at a certain level. You can't be new. You've got to have been around for a long enough time. You have to have proven yourself and you have to be able to provide the service or product at a higher quality and volume that the government could utilize.
0: Great question there. All right. Eric asks If a company or project seeking funding cannot secure private monies from capital investment, isn't that a red flag that the project is not financially viable? And if so, why would the public sector use taxpayer money to prop up a venture that the entire investment community has determined to be more likely than not a failure? Look, there's no question that where Eric's going here it leans on speculation around Tidewater Landing. So I guess let's just use this moment to sort of Get into Tidewater. We can even pair it out to Superman and other major major capital investments. Right now, where is Commerce on Tidewater? What's your understanding of the the project at this moment and the likelihood that we're going to see this project through to completion? Not just in terms of the stadium, but also the B side, which is critical to make that TIF to make this entire operation. Uh, not only functional at its highest level, but also probably ethical from a lot of people's standpoint.
1: You know, so I'll say there's a lot of projects in this space. It's not just the Tidewater Stadium. It's the super, you've got the Superman. You've got a lot of school projects. You know, look at projects across the country. Uh, they're all in the same boat of, I'm not sure stalled is the right word, but you've got a situation where people are being cautious. They want to make sure that they are doing the right thing, and so you're seeing it with all the big projects. And big projects they take time and. While we're very confident about the two that I'm talking about, specifically Superman and Tidewater, you know, once they're completed, we know it's going to be beneficial for the people in Rhode Island.
0: And you feel at this point that it's it's in a comfortable enough place that, from a public-facing standpoint, your message to anybody out there that's saying, "Hey, wait a second, Tidewater seems like it's not going to happen," you think it's going to happen?
1: You know, it's been widely reported that the city of Pawtucket wasn't gonna issue the public bonds. And that hasn't happened yet because the developer is still raising capital. capital um, It's not the ideal market. We know it's not, mm-hmm. but we've been very clear that this project is absolutely not dead. You know, the governor and commerce, they, we meet regularly. We are very optimistic that we're gonna see this project through and you can actually go and see the changes on the ground. The stadium rises from the ground on a daily basis. I'd like to hit Superman too, if that's okay. Yeah, please, Talking of about course, that. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, internal demolition does occur, there, um, does continue to occur. There is has been at least one major event on the ground floor of the building. There's regular meetings that go over that as well, but they have not requested additional funds. And with mm-hmm. both of these projects, I think what's really important to note is that until a certificate of occupancy for Superman or the final prep piece for Tidewater is done, absolutely no taxpayer dollars are spent. So that's really critical to understand. And that's it, That's like that with just about every government program that we have for um economic development is we are last dollars in
0: right that's a common misconception the idea is that oh well the state of rhode island gave 60 million dollars to brett johnson to build a soccer stadium it doesn't quite work that way i guess the speculation now a lot of it is it's based on this moment in terms of the markets in terms of the realities on the ground on a, a really a global basis but but certainly a national basis in terms of any major project so you're confident, you feel good about it, no reason to panic, that's what I'm hearing.
1: Absolutely not, feel very good.
0: All right, moving on, uh, Ty asks, there's been zero, in all caps, talk about how large annual minimum wage increases have impacted business owners' commerce in Rhode Island. For better or for worse, how are businesses holding up? What is commerce hearing in regard to minimum minimum wage increases?
1: Well, I wouldn't say there's been zero talk, uh, but... Yeah, I wouldn't they, either. I was no. going to say
0: they haven't listened to talk radio or no,
1: talk to sure. business
0: owners very much then.
1: I certainly hear it from the business owners. <clears throat> as you can imagine, it's some, certainly something we're tracking, something we hear about on a regular basis. I mean, the short answer is that as far as it impacts the community, it depends, right? So what, what we do know is that the impact is the subject of numerous studies and debates with various conclusions based on the variety of data, research methodology, and, you know, different contexts of certain regions. So in Rhode Island, you know, we've we've kind of brought out several categories here to kind of go through, and I'll walk through each one of them to, to tell you where we're at. So while some businesses might face negative consequences, uh, consequences, others have experienced some positive benefits, such as increased consumer demand resulting from higher incomes for the minimum age When minimum wage earners, so let me break that down a bit. So employment effects. Studies have shown mixed results when it comes to the impact of minimum wage increases on employment levels. We know that. Some research indicates that modest minimum wage increases do not lead to significant job losses, while others suggest that significant increases in the minimum wage can lead to reduced employment opportunities, especially for low-skilled workers. That sounds obvious. We know that. As far as business costs, an increase in the minimum wage can raise labor costs for businesses, which may lead some firms to reduce hours, cuts in benefits, or implement cost savings measures, such as potentially automation, which could lead to price increases. And so some studies do show that businesses may pass on the increased labor costs to consumers in the form of higher prices. So this could, in turn, lead to a decrease in demand for goods and services. Now, how about productivity and turnover? Minimum wage increases may lead to higher productivity as better, wage, better paid workers are often more motivated and engaged. And additionally, higher wages can reduce employee turnover, which may result in lower recruitment and training costs for employees. So there's some pros and cons there. But then finally, I'll, I'll end with profitability. So the effect on a business's profitability depends on various factors, such as its ability to absorb the increased labor costs, the price elasticity of demand for its products, and the level of competition in its industry. So some businesses may experience reduced profits, while others may be able to maintain and even increase profitability. But overall, I think this is something that we will certainly be watching very closely in Rhode Island now and in the future to see how it changes things.
0: It's what a time it is right now. About a year ago, I went up and toured Danelli, which I didn't think they have a new name, which is the meat processing plant up in Burrowville for a vegan. It was, you know at once a beautiful and horrifying sight to see that amount of, whatever. I'm, actually, it was, an, it was an awesome business. It was a great experience and they were fantastic. Uh, but one thing that was very clear is that there's a tremendous amount of automation taking place inside that production facility, literally robots doing jobs that only five years ago or 10 years ago were definitely performed by human beings. But at the same time, there was a robust, very vivid, uh, very lively and, and solid group of employees there that we're working in tandem with the AI, with the automation. But now we're entering into this moment where automation, AI, it's definitely coming and it's coming fast. And we're maybe 10 years away from seeing a major shift in the workforce. So for commerce, it's going to be an interesting time to navigate. Do you require businesses to have a certain amount of human employees? I mean, how do you manage that that trend because we're not in a point where there's universal basic income and if AI continues to expand at a, a rapid pace, just your gut, how does commerce manage that in terms of going forward over the next ten years?
1: You know, you say ten years, I'm not even sure that far away. Mm. I think the pandemic certainly pushed this forward for all of us to see. But you see with the unemployment rates the way they are, there's certainly no lack of jobs. But it will be interesting to see what the future holds. Yeah.
0: It's gonna it's here we go. I finally got chat GPT the other day on my phone and I asked, I just was like, all right, let me test something that I can answer 100%. I was like, who am I? And it got so much right. It was so nuanced. It nailed, you know, my background, the whole thing. My bio was almost perfect. It was better than I could have written it and all that. But somehow it also said that I'm a former mayor of Warwick, Rhode Island, which uh, unless... I've had a head injury and amnesia. I don't remember that part of my life. But Are you
1: running for Congress? Does that does I, say I, that too? I, exactly.
0: Are you <laughs> running for Congress? We may as well get this out of the way.
1: <laughs> I am not. Thank you. Okay.
0: Um, Emily asks a really interesting question, something that Secretary Gorbea, when she was then Secretary of State, Gorbea would talk about a lot. We saw a record number of businesses formed during the pandemic. Has that pace kept up? And how many of those businesses that were formed during the pandemic sustained? I think she's also leaning into an idea that many people for, went through corporate formation in hopes of getting
1: money. You know, your lists are spot on. And it's something that we saw during the recession too. You know, when, when there are times of crisis, people open businesses. So our team at Commerce has been working really hard to keep that momentum going. I actually have some numbers here for you. You know, as we all know, Rhode Island's the backbone. Our entire backbone is small business. And so when you see these kinds of increases, it's it's really incredible. So 2019, pre-pandemic, 9,605 new business registrations. 2020, you had 10,591. 2021, 13,342. 2022, 13,398, just a little bit of a dip. But as of last week, the Secretary of State's office has already processed nearly 5,000 new registrations. So we're really tracking towards another incredible successful year. You know, what does this mean for us? We know that so many businesses open up in Rhode Island, we have to respond to their needs. I have to tell you, there are more business resources and programs for businesses than have ever existed in the state of Ryland before. And so many of them are free. And if anything, it's overwhelming to understand what's actually out there. So we we really want our businesses to have, to have a relationship with the Commerce Corporation so that they can know what these new resources, what these new programs are, so that they can be ready to either apply for them or receive them, whatever they may be. And- You know, one of the good things about Rhode Island is you have such a large variety of businesses and there's programs for each one of them. So I would encourage folks to keep in touch with the Commerce Corporation, 521-HELP, commerceri.com to see what's out there for them and then sit with one of our counselors to learn what's particularly available for your specific business.
0: Lots of micro entities as well. Things that are essentially small businesses that have no formation, those opportunities are probably a good thing for some of those micro entities to look towards as well in terms of saying, hey, maybe I can scale up and kind of formalize um, whatever that business may be, whether it's an independent contractor or just something that's kind of flying under the radar. So I, I would encourage anybody out there that has a micro entity to start looking towards formalizing their business for sure.
1: Free counseling, free training, free programs, free mentoring. There's so much out there you wouldn't even believe it.
0: Katie asks a really important question right now. Can you ask about funding for green infrastructure and any new innovation that may be on the horizon here in Rhode Island? We can scale this out to the super sector known as the blue economy, which includes everything from wind turbines and smart bay to um, you know, fisheries and shipping. All of that's a part of it, but I also would I'm, – I'm amending the question, I guess, I'm kind of taking the liberty to do so – Obviously, this includes solar. Obviously, this includes uh, tax credits and things of that sort. Where are we at with the green economy?
1: There's a lot to say there. You know, it's kind of funny you got the question a couple days after Earth Day. So very nice. Thank you. Um, You know, my colleagues and I have done an enormous amount of work in this space. So I want to make sure I acknowledge the folks at the Department of Environmental Management, at the Office of Energy Resources, of course, the Department of Transportation. And there's other state agencies, of course, that are really working on projects because it's really a – A truly a statewide collaborative effort to get all this work done. As many of you probably know, we're one of the first states in the country to commit to achieving 100 percent renewable energy by 2030. And we're also committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions statewide by 2050. And so with the passage of the 2021 Act on Climate, you know, these are real enforceable policies in place that we have to take care of to achieve the goals. I think you know that we've very much particularly the commerce corporation about offshore wind industry there's uh so much excitement around that by being the states or the country's first offshore wind farm and of course thanks to governor's mckee's leadership in that space there's a whole lot more to come soon but we're really hoping to be able to generate a thousand megawatts of clean power uh soon and so in addition to any kind of clean energy goals uh, we're also first mover in the offshore wind space It's been a huge boon for our economy. We have so many businesses coming to Rhode Island, both nationally and internationally, to work with us in that space, to continue to grow that environment for us. But overall, there's a whole lot more coming down the pipe with these programs, and there's just not a lot of information for businesses for those kinds of programs right now. But I can talk about uh, two different programs that I think there might be of interest. Uh, First is the Renewable Energy Fund. We call it REF. It provides grants for renewable energy projects that have potential to produce electricity In a cleaner more sustainable manner and so of course there's some job growth opportunities there Um, there's also the electric vehicle charging station incentive program and that's up to um, 1.4 million dollars in incentives available for rhode islanders who install electric vehicle charging stations so there's those and i've no doubt there's many more coming down the pike um, and we're really excited if you have particular ideas i'm sure we'd be happy to hear about them particularly for businesses that we know will really be affected by these changes.
0: The blue economy itself is going to be a driver for Rhode Island's identity going into the future. It's already been there since our origin, fisheries and using our waterways, sometimes for not so ideal and somewhat evil situations. We think about the slave ships in Newport. Let's be honest about it. But at the same time, that that economy has been there and it's something that we're harnessing. We're seeing institutions, we're seeing government, we're seeing private sector, we're seeing... Um, even to a certain extent, media buy into this idea that Rhode Island has for years been, oh man, what are we going to do? We're going to chase 38 studios. we got to find some identifier. Maybe it's Amazon. Maybe it's something else. We actually have had it right in front of us the whole time. And it feels like this is a critical moment where Rhode Island can be a global player. In fact, it is with the array off of Block Island in, in that were the first offshore wind in the country. But now going forward, There was a New York Times article a couple of months ago now that suggested that maybe Rhode Island's moment is we're kind of cresting and that some of the manufacturing of wind turbines or other aspects of the blue economy that we're starting to succeed with right now might go away. It might all of a sudden end up in New York, or New Jersey down the line. What's your thought on that in terms of sustainability of this major concept?
1: So I'll say that I thought that article in The New York Times was incredible. It was just one last sentence by a Rhode Islander oh, who actually so <laughs> put it on the negative. So I would, I would disagree with that assessment. I think if anything, The New York Times article was highlighting that New York appears to be concerned about Rhode Island's prominence in this role. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to think of it um, and from the positive, positive aspect. We are the ocean state. We're not the Empire State. We're the um, we're the Ocean State. And so we want to make sure we take advantage of that for everything we can do.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Um, last couple of minutes here. I just want to read from the Boston Globe's roadmap produced by Dan McGowan every morning. He writes, the board for the Rhode Island Commerce Corporation meets tonight at five to discuss a million dollar tax credits, one million dollars in tax credits, pardon me, for the Union Station Food Hall that's supposed to open this year. Um, your take on that. Why is that important?
1: We're really excited about this project. You know, in in traditional Rhode Island terms. It's in the space between the Capitol Grill, where the Capitol Grill used to be, where across from Luxburger used to be and next to Union Station. And so there's used to be a train station under there. I, I've been in the space. It's really incredible. and they're going to have a food hall in there with uh, a half dozen or more vendors, a couple of bars, a couple of food carts, anything from burgers to Middle Eastern and everything in between. And it's 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 looking to be really exciting. it's It's going to be very different, very different concept in Rhode Island but it reinvigorates a part of the city that has not had a lot of tension in some time. It reuses historic space, and it highlights what I found out. Uh, that space was one of the busiest train stations in America. I did not know that.
0: Really? I had no idea either. Well, there you go. What did we miss? I'm sure we missed, uh, we could go on for 60 minutes easily just listing what we missed, but w- what else do you want to talk about today?
1: A couple of things, if I can highlight. Uh, one of you... One of the things your listeners might be really interested in is our Wavemaker Fellowship. So the Wavemaker Fellowship program is essentially officially back open for applications. And that is for folks who carry student loan debt and are pursuing a career in the STEM, design, and now healthcare sectors. And it's an opportunity to earn up to $6,000 per year in refundable tax credits to put towards those loans. So this is a great program. We've had it for several years now. Want to try to make sure we can keep our Rhode Island's brightest here in the state and we're thrilled that it's back up and running. And so uh, once again, you can go to commerceri.com, but that information's there. And so we're looking for applications through June 14th. Oh, please. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to highlight is we have our Go Global Awards. So back in the fall, I had the great pleasure of attending an international trade conference in the country of Estonia. And at the end of that conference, uh, the state of Rhode Island won the Economic Development Agency of the Year Award. And we won the opportunity to host the awards this year. So that won't hmm. be until November, but we're really excited about it. And so we'll share some more information as time goes on. But it's going to be really exciting to have a, a major international trade event in Rhode Island. I don't think that's ever been done before.
0: No, that's amazing. It's it's such an opportunity to showcase the state as a the state's talent, the state's opportunity. And um, I, I hope I can go to that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would love to have you there. Awesome. And then finally, I wanted to do a shameless shout out for our, our colleague, uh, our chief marketing officer, Anika Kimball-Huntley. She was just recognized last week as Providence Business News 2023, one of the C-suite awardees. Mm. And so we're really excited. You know, Anika's a, a great member of the team. She constantly works hard to put Rhode Island on the map we're really lucky to have her. So I just want to say congratulations to her.
0: Awesome. Hey, this is Ask the Commerce Secretary, our recurring series, where if you have a question for Secretary Tanner, bill at ripodcast.com. That's bill at ripodcast.com. We're brought to you today in part by the University of Rhode Island online. Visit uri.edu slash online and CCA Health Rhode Island, delivering uncommon care to Rhode Islanders. Secretary Tanner, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much.